It's my hope today that we do a little bit better than Arabella Young did, and we learn what it means for Christians who truly have a nonfiction faith to pass the tongue test. I read in Reader's Digest this week, in preparing for this, this quote, As you go through life, you're going to have many opportunities to keep your mouth shut. Take advantage of all of them. Uh, James has been preaching to us about how our faith and works go together um, in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, he's going to go from preaching to what we call meddling. Because now he's going to get down to some pretty serious issues of very specific things. And this week, it is the tongue. He has told us in very clear and explicit terms that uh, your faith ought to always be accompanied by good works. And that was pretty broad, although he did say uh, our love for the poor and helping them is very specific. But now he's going to say, not only should your faith be accompanied by good works, if it's real and genuine, it should be accompanied also by good words. And so there are so many verses, and if you're familiar with Scripture at all, you'll be able to agree with this, um, that talk about the vital importance of how we speak. Psalm 141 and verse 3, David writes, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. He needed to have soldiers, a guard. He needed people placed over it. That's how dangerous he realized his own tongue was. Paul says of the unregenerate person who doesn't know God, look what their tongue or their mouth is like. Romans 3, 13 and 14, their throat is an open grave. In other words, death comes out of it. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's the vocabulary and the verbal patterns of people who are not followers of Jesus. And this isn't really, honestly, the first time that James has talked about the tongue test. In fact, he said earlier in a couple of verses we've already covered that this tongue test is really the key to all the other ones. We know he said in James 1.19 that we are to be what? Slow to speak. He admonished us very strongly that in James 1.26 that if you think that your religion is real and authentic, but you don't bridle your tongue, you're deceiving your own heart. Get that because we're going to make a little bit about that in a minute. If you deceive your heart and your religion is empty, it's worthless. So here's what he says. No matter what you say or comes out of your mouth about your faith, if you're, what you say generally doesn't complement your faith, it's useless. It's useless, he says. So in other words, let me say it to you straight. A genuine faith, a nonfiction faith, a real faith is nothing less than a makeover of your mouth. Really. So the gospel changes your walk. That was last week. But it also changes your talk. So let me say to you, a nonfiction, a real nonfiction faith is one that is passing the tongue test. And let me tell you about the tongue test because it comes in two parts. The first few verses up to verse 5 is the vertical tongue test, and the remainder of the paragraph that we read is the horizontal one. So we're going to take time this morning to unpack each one of them as we do often one at a time. So let me cover the first one for you. And you're supposed to think this morning, am I passing the tongue test? Because it will say, say volumes about your life. So the vertical tongue test is this. And James says in verse 1, not many of you should become teachers. In other words, that doesn't sound very good. I'm discouraging people to become teachers in the church. 
And he needed to do that because to be a teacher in the church in the first century in a shame and honor culture was a big deal. People would look up to you. You'd have a better status in life. It really all together would make your life, in their minds, more honorable. But James says, don't let that fool you because here's what he says. Every one of us, hear me, will be judged by God based on the words that come out of our mouth. And he's going to go from very specific, right, to very general. So he's going to say, teachers do. When you stand in the pulpit, or you teach in a small group, or a discipleship group, or any other, whether it's children's church, or whatever else it might be, a Bible study, he says, know this, that when you stand before God, there is a greater strictness, he says. There is a greater accountability before God for your words because you're, you're representing him. You are telling people this is what God's words are. So he says there's a greater strictness to it. But it's not just for teachers. Because in the text he goes on to say, hey, we all stumble. All of us stumble in many ways. We all have issues. With, there are all of us this morning have limitations, failures, places that we do wrong and sin. But he says, but if you don't stumble, which means to fail or to fall, if you don't fail with words that come out of your mouth, here's what he says, you're going to be a perfect person who is complete, in other words. And you'll be able to control your whole body. Let me have you hold your finger in James and turn to Jesus' words. Would you do that with me this morning in Matthew chapter 12? I honestly want this text to shake you a little bit. The context of James 12, 33 through 36 is Jesus was answering if there's an unpardonable sin. And he said that you can say words against the Son of Man, but you can't say blasphemous words against the Holy Spirit because what comes out of your mouth, right, what you say tells volumes about who you are. And when you use your mouth and words to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which the Pharisees and religious leaders, some of them were doing, it just indicates about where you are. And so he says to them in verse 33 of Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. So this is a text about the source. Where do our words come from and why does that matter? Here's what he says. You brood, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. There's the snake thing again. For Here's what. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me tell you this. The tongue test today is really a heart test. So don't be fooled. This isn't just about measuring your words, going home and saying, I'm going to cuss a little less, be more kind in my responses to people so that I can say that I'm a Christian. That's not the idea. Because what Jesus says, the makeover of the mouth is really a makeover of your heart. Because that's where your words come from, he says. Let me tell you why it matters. Notice the repeat of good and evil in these phrases because it indicates source. Ready? The good person, out of his good treasure, meaning his heart, brings forth good. You see that? Good, good, good. Good source, good words. Good heart, good words. The antithetical aspect of it is also true. He says, ready? Evil person, evil heart, brings forth evil. So if you talk, and you talk evil, and that's what characterizes you, it's because you are evil. Not because you never do any good things, but that is your condition before God, he says. For by your words, last verse, I'm sorry, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every 
careless, useless, thoughtless is the idea, every thoughtless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified. In other words, you will be dem- it will demonstrate on judgment day, God will say, this person is not right with me, or they are right with me, and I'll give you the evidence. Listen to how they talked. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So you will either, can I say it this way, the proof or evidence of your salvation to get into heaven or go to hell will be based partly on your words. You can't get much more important than that. So the tongue test is a heart test. And that's why James warns, don't let your heart be deceived. If you say that you have a real religion, you have a real relationship with God, and you don't bridle your tongue, here's what he's saying. You're fooling your own heart. And it's, it's perhaps the danger this morning is, is that could be you. See, you could be here, and you're not sure, you know what, what comes out of your mouth, and you're not sure where that source is, and the fact you don't know where the source is coming from, in the sense that you're not sure what your really true condition of your heart is. He says, if you don't know, you're deceiving your hearts. So what you say is a good indication of who you are. Let me give you some examples for teachers. Let me tell you, there's people you can listen to on the TV. Joel Olstein, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and on and on it goes. And when they tell you lies, like you should be wealthier because you have faith in Christ, or you should be healthier because of your faith in Christ, they are lies. And they will stand before God and the stricter judgment will be on them. Those are heretical words coming out of their mouth. They are not in keeping with Scripture. But can I tell you this? It's not just TV evangelists and preachers or people like the pastors like me. It's all of us. Every one of us will stand before God and give an account of the words that come out of our mouth. And so that's why, verse 2, he says, here's the caution, because you're going to be judged You're going to be judged by God. So here's what he's saying from the very beginning. Get this principle, that your heart and your mouth are connected. Do you get that? The question is, are they rightly connected? Because if you have a bad heart, that's also connected to your mouth, and that's proving that you're evil. If you have a good heart and a good mouth, see, it demonstrates things. And here's what James says. If you have a real faith, your heart and mouth will be connected in the right way. They'll match. Good heart good mouth. So if you can control your tongue, he says you can control everything else. And in verses 3 through 5, here's what he wants us to do. He wants us to see that the tongue is so powerful that you cannot underestimate it. And he's going to give two examples of it. So if you don't believe that your tongue could be powerful enough by in evidence the difference between heaven and hell that's pretty powerful in fact proverbs 18:21 says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it shall eat its fruit so the difference between death and life heaven and hell is evidenced and demonstrated by the words that come out of your mouth and he says look at the horse see that in verse 3 Horses are very large, strong, powerful animals. But you know, we can control them, he say, with these little bits. And he's going to give these illustrations. Look at the text. A little bit of a, a small item controls a big object. You see that? Small object controls a large object. He's going to go back and forth between small and large. So you've got this little teeny bit in a big, huge horse's mouth. But that little bit controls the whole horse. And it says you can guide the horse. You pull on the reins. I went to a dude ranch. You ever heard? They do that anymore? 
I went to a dude ranch when I was a kid, and my family went on a vacation, and we got to ride horses. And to me, my wife grew up on horses. I didn't care for it too much. Um, I knew I was in control, but I knew all along that I had the reins, but I was not in control. My horse was in control. Um, and it was pretty scary. But you're, supposedly, the bit controls them. So I pull the reins. You pull back on the reins. They stop. You do this. You do that. You, it, and, and it turns them. And can, this huge horse that could stomp me, I was in control because that little bit in its mouth. says, it, it, See the word in both examples? Guide it. See the reins? I can guide that horse. He said, let me go even bigger. See the boats, see the ships, and you look out on the sea, and you see this gigantic ship. And he says, it's in winds and waves. They're blowing it everywhere, and everything out there, the ship, the wind, it's so powerful and so strong. He said, the little teeny rudder, it's just a small rudder, and you can move that ship back and forth, right and left, against the fiercest winds. He said, see, it's the small things that matter. And then he says to us, and that's the way it is with your tongue See, you can control the whole horse. And that little phrase, the whole body, is used, verse 2, verse 3, verse 6. He says that little rudder controls the whole horse. I mean, that little bit controls the whole horse. That little rudder controls the whole ship. And your little tongue controls your whole life. You see that? So, yeah, it does. matters what comes out of your mouth. He says, if you can control your tongue, you can control your whole life. If you can master your words, you can master your whole life. It's the key. If you want to have a changed life, can I tell you this? It starts with your, your, your heart and what comes out of your heart into your tongue. Back in the day, and if you have to be my age maybe to remember this, but Richard Nixon was the president, and the Watergate scandal came up between 1972 and 74, and there were tapes, and tapes of him talking, and eventually, in his presidency, those tapes came out, and people began to listen to him. And if you've ever read the, um, the papers that recorded everything he said or listened to the tapes, they're open to do that now. Um, you'll find that not only do his words convict him of a crime— but they convict him of corruption. I mean, the words that come out of his mouth and the hatred, the anger, the vulgarity was, had to be embarrassing, shameful, or worse. You see, Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like the thrusting, or I should say, the thrusting of a sword. He was like he was stabbing someone over and over with those words. But that verse in Proverbs goes on to say, but the tongue of the wise, there's healing. See, Nixon's words were hurtful. Proverbs says because he wasn't wise. He didn't have wisdom. He didn't know healing words. See, eventually they tried to impeach him, and he knew that that would eventually take place. And so he's the only president in all of history who resigned. On that day, his earthly judgment day, he was found guilty because his words incriminated him. Can I tell you, for him and others, all of us per se, there is another judgment day coming, not to see if we'll be impeached from, impeached from the Oval Office, but about where we'll spend eternity. His heart was revealed by his words. I don't think they do this anymore. Maybe they do. I don't have little children anymore. But when I was a kid... And I think it was, no matter what you went to the doctor for, 
You'd go in the doctor's office, you'd sit on the thing, and he'd get out. Remember the tongue depressor? You remember that? And he'd go, come up with a tongue. I knew and you could have, I could have something wrong with my big toe. Let me see in your mouth first. I don't understand that. I never could figure that out. So you'd get the tongue depressor, and, and, and you'd have to, what, what do you say? Now I want you to say, yes, see, you've been tortured too. So you put the, and he'd push your tongue down, and he'd look into your throat. And I thought, why does he want to look into my, I told you I hurt my ankle. But you know, obviously, the doctor realized this. He can tell a lot about the health, your whole health, by looking in your mouth. You see, James has been a spiritual doctor for us. Last week, he took vital signs. Remember we talked about that? That whether our faith was dead or alive. This year, doctor, this week, Dr. James is coming in with his spiritual tongue depressor, and he wants to say, hey, say spiritual, ah, open your mouth this morning at Faith Baptist Church. You know why? Because I want to look in your mouth. I want to look from your mouth all the way down into your heart because when he puts his spiritual tongue depressor in there and he looks at your words and what's coming out of your mouth, he can tell a lot about the health and spiritual state of your condition before God because through your mouth he can see your heart. So James is going to challenge us first, and he does, about the vertical aspect. Know this, James says, you better mind your words. You know why? Because you're going to give an account to God for every word that comes out of your mouth. You'll be standing before him, and your judgment will be proven and demonstrated by your words, which come from your heart. He says that's the power of the tongue. Don't, by any stretch, don't underestimate it. But then he also says not only the power of the tongue vertically, but he says, listen, there is a problem with the tongue, and it comes out horizontally. That's the second part of the test. Remember when we were kids, at least when I was, I asked a couple other kids to make sure it was true, other people who, when they were kids. And someone would pick on you and call you a name, ridicule you, make fun of you. We used to all quote verbatim this little line, sticks and stones may break my bones, and what's the finish? But words will never hurt me. What? I'm sorry, but what a lie. It wasn't true. The reason I quoted it, because their words had already hurt me, and I didn't want them to know it, right? You know how I know it's a lie? Because I've talked to people whose parents told them when they were kids, you'll never amount to anything. And they were telling me that 20 years after their parents said it, and it was like they just said it yesterday. It was still haunting them. I have talked to people whose teacher told them that you'll never be anything. You know why? Because you're not smart. You'll never get into college. You know what? It still caused them to doubt themselves all these years later. I've had people whose spouse told them when they are in the midst of getting a divorce, you know, I want you to realize this. I never really loved you at all. And with tears in their eyes, years after the divorce took place, it still breaks their heart. See, it's true. Sticks and stones can break your bones. But words, they can wound you. They do wound people. Sticks and stones break bones, but words break hearts. See, they break relationships. They break families. They break friendships. And they break churches. When I think of that, I think of Hannah, I, I, Hannah and Peninnah in 1 Samuel 1. You know, Hannah 
couldn't have children, but Peninnah could. And she ended up having many of them, and Hannah couldn't. And that was the mark of being a great and godly woman in that day. And, every, and so Peninnah would take every opportunity she had, the Bible says, and here's the words. She provoked Hannah. She irritated Hannah. And then it says again, and she provoked her all the time, especially when they went up to the annual time to the, the tabernacle where Eli the priest was. Every year, say, hey, you know what? God blesses me because I'm right, Peninnah would say. You must be horribly a sinner because God doesn't give you any children. And it would go on and on and on. And it was so bad, it hurt her. It hurt her. You know what the Bible says? She wept. The Bible says she couldn't eat. And the Bible says that she couldn't sleep. You know why? Because words do hurt us. They do hurt us. Penina was causing word fires every day in her relationship with Hannah in their home. If you watch the news, you know all about wildfires. They're all over California. They've been, it's been just ramping up year after year. And they have what's called a fire map. A fire map tells you where the fire has been, the damage, and where the fire is most likely to go. Likely to go. They map it out because it happens so much, and it's so devastating. And if you've seen these fires, they, especially from the sky, they are widespread, and they move so fast that people can't get out of the way. Some people couldn't even get out of their houses fast enough. I mean, they hurt people, they kill people. You can look back from miles away and you can see the pillars of smoke just billowing out because these fires are rampant. I would guess, if we had the eyes to see spiritually, that we could go by some homes, perhaps even of God's people, and you could see the smoke billowing out of the house because of the word fires that take place between husbands and wives. Perhaps if we had eyes to see, maybe we could see the billowing smoke that comes out of churches between God's people who don't agree or they disagree about certain things. See, words hurt. They wound people. They burn people. You know, there's first-degree burns, and there's second-degree burns, and there's the third, the worst ones. And I've seen people have all of them. And it can be disfiguring. It can be difficult to even come back from, to ever be or look the same. You ever been burned? You ever been a burned victim? I don't mean by fire, not that kind of fire, not wildfire, word fires. You ever been hurt by someone so deeply that scar just remains for a long time in your lives? You see, James says in this second half, the horizontal half of the tongue test, He gives five pictures or metaphors. He talks about the tongue as a fire. He talks about it as the tongue can stain your whole body. He talks about how you can't tame it like wild animals. He talks about it like a spring that gives off certain waters or not certain waters. He talks about it as a tree giving off two fruits because he wants to beat this into us. (laughs) He wants to go over it so many times in our lives from so many different angles because he wants you to say, listen, you know what? When you stand before God in the judgment vertical about the words that come out of your mouth, you know what he's going to say and what the evidence is going to be? Not just what you said to him, but what you said to everybody else. That's the main part of the test. And so he illustrates it in so many different ways. And the first one is fire. You remember Smokey the Bear? I think those commercials are still on TV. Smokey the Bear with his forest ranger hat on, and and the little slogan is, only you can prevent forest fires. 
Can I tell you, it's still true spiritually. Only you can prevent fires in your marriage. Only you can prevent the fires between friendships and relationships here in church or outside of church. See, only you can prevent them. And here's what he says. The tongue is a fire. Look at the statistics. You know how many, Smokey the Bear would say, how many careless campers start fires that devastate forests? Small little fire starter. A fire that's not put out at a campfire, someone smoking a cigarette that tosses it on the ground. I mean, it doesn't take much. Just a little spark, a little ignition, and this huge blaze and devastating fire comes as a result of it. See, that can be the same. See, not just careless campers, but careless Christians. Careless Christians who are insensitive to people they're most familiar with. They don't like certain things, and they cutting remarks. See, it's the little gossip and the little slander and the, and the little words that we say to people that undermine them. It's the little jabs and the little sword thrusts. See, has anyone felt the edge of the sword that comes out of your mouth this week? It's a fire, and it hurts families, it hurts friends, and we've all felt it. He goes on to say, let me tell you the second one, stains. And then he gives us how comprehensive it is. Watch. A world of unrighteousness, he calls it. Stain the whole body. Sets on fire the entire court. You see all the big words he's talking about? The whole course of your life, he says. Your whole body, he says. A world of unrighteousness. What he's trying to say, listen, it's not just isolated to these one little events. No, it's a world. The devastation is so fast and so widespread. See, you slander someone and they talk to you and they talk to somebody else and then they start gossiping and it gets around and no one ever talks to the person in person. And see, that's where the stories get started. And you don't even know what happened really. And when you hear the truth, you're surprised because it's not anything that you were told from other people. The U.S. military in 1974 came up with a missile, and the missile was needed because they needed to be able to combat and get through the thick armor of tanks of the opposing forces. So they came up with what's called the Hellfire missile. It was called the Tank Buster. And as tanks got, of our armies of other countries got aware of that technology that we had, they made their armor thicker. And so they had to update it in 2012, and they added a laser feature to it so they could shoot the, la- the um, Hellfire missile from anywhere, and they wouldn't have to track it anymore because the laser would, he- would, would go right onto the target, and it would hit it every single time. They, would, they really virtually could not miss. You know what James says? This whole-encompassing tire, f- fire of the tongue, this tongue that stains the whole body, defiles is the word, he says it's set on fire of Gehenna. It's set on fire of hell. See, those slanderous words, caustic words, those, those ungodly words, unkind words, they are from hell. Satan is behind them. That's why they can't be connected to God. That's why it's a heaven and hell issue. Because people demonstrate by their words that their words are from hell because their heart is there. See? Hellfire mouth, hellfire missiles. See, they're church busters, they're marriage busters, they're relationship busters. So he goes on to verse 7 and gives another picture of animals. In verse 7, see the little word for? He says, let me give you a reason. You can't contain or 
control or tame your tongue. There have been a lot of animals that mankind have tamed. We go to zoos, and they're semi-tamed, some of them, and we can control them to some degree. But here's what he says. No human can tame the tongue. That's what he says in verse 8. You see that? No human. In other words, you are without power on this little thing in your mouth See, you don't have any ability to control it whatsoever apart from God. That's why if you're a Christian and you have a nonfiction faith, the evidence of the reality of your faith is being able to control it because without God, you could never do it. And we evidence it every day. We are not trained parrots that can echo what someone says and say a few words and it's never a problem. No, we're different than the animals. He says in a moment, we are made in the likeness of God. See, making us human gives us the ability to speak. Words are part of who we are, and that's a very good thing, but it's also a big problem because if who we are in our sin isn't changed by the grace of Jesus Christ, then our tongues can be set on fire, and they are untamable, uncontrollable. In fact, the word in chapter 3 and verse 8 is the same one in chapter 1 and verse 8. It means unstable, unstoppable. And you know as well as I do that when you're not walking in the Spirit, your tongue is erratic. Your tongue is unpredictable. It can't be controlled. To the point where James says this, it is full of deadly poison. Full of it. Now, if you ask, what is the most deadly viper, venomous viper in the world? You might think the king cobra or the black mamba, and they are deadly. But it's a, it's a snake called the inland taipan. It's about four or five feet long. It's brown, and it causes internal hemorrhaging, hem, hemorrhaging when it bites you. So everything inside starts bleeding, and it starts inhibiting your ability to breathe. And if you do not get some sort of antitoxin, a human being can be dead in less than an hour. 80% of all bites are fatal. It is the most venomous viper in the world. Can I tell you this? Are you a Taipan tongue? Do you have that? See, here's what he says. Verbal vipers, that's what the tongue can be. Verbal vipers, they're venomous, they're poisonous, they're full of poison, and they can poison relationships. They can ruin things. Unity in a life, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a church. What does that venom look like? Well, its main expression, he says, in James chapter 2, if you'll, 3, I'm sorry, in verse 9, he says this, it's that it's double-tongued. On the old Indian and the Westerns and TV, they said, you have forked tongue. Remember that? Forked tongue. It meant that you'd say one thing and do another. And that's what James says. Look at James chapter 3. Let me read it for you. James chapter 3 in verse 9 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. See, in one moment, let me give you the moment. See, we come to church, and you say it, amazing grace. Oh, God, I'm so grateful that you saved me, grace, you know. And we sing God's words, and we sing how great he is. And then on the ride home, we're yelling at our kids. We have a fight with our wife this afternoon. It ends up that we don't come to church in small groups because of it. 
See, we bless God, God, you're so great, but in the same mouth, same mouth, we curse people. And that's the little word he uses in verses 10. And, he says, same mouth, blessing and cursing. Same tree, different kinds of fruit. Same water source, same opening, different kinds of water. He says, that can't be. See, remember what he said at the beginning? Your mouth and your heart are connected. But if your mouth and your heart are contradicting one another, in other words, if it says this and it says that, see, that's the evidence, that's the proof that you don't have a nonfiction faith. So if you have righteous words for God, but racist words toward people, it's a contradiction. See, words that lift up God and pull down people are a contradiction. Loving words to God, hateful words to people, contradiction. Worship words to God, but wicked words, see, one kind of words in public, another kind of word in private, they're contradiction. See, James says it ought to be a connection, not a contradiction, if you have a real faith. So he closes our text in verses 10 through 12, like he began. See, he started off with family terms. My brothers, verse 1, and verses 10 and 12, he says it two more times. My brothers, my brothers, because you know what he wants? As strong as he's talking, as strong as I'm preaching today, he wants you to know that he's warning you because you're family, because you're in God's family. You profess to know him. And here's what he says. Don't live the contradiction. You, you can't have one tree that produces two types of fruit. You can't have figs and another tree, you have another. He says, you can't do it. You can't say this and then say this. You can't have a body of water that is fresh and salt water at the same time. It's not possible. The contradiction is a revelation of what you are. So you can't have church talk and work talk. I got saved in sixth grade, but I went to public school. And to fit in, everybody said all kinds of stuff, not good. And so did I, in seventh grade and eighth grade. Right before my ninth grade year, we had a, a preacher at our church, and I heard a message, and it changed my life. And he said, it contradicts if you talk this way and talk this way in two different places. See, I, I was at church. I was on the Bible team, and I was in the youth ministry as a kid, and I was doing the right thing. My dad was a deacon, and see, see, I said, this is my church talk, but I went to school. I had a whole nother vocabulary. It was a contradiction. It changed my life. Changed my life. And that's what, see, you can't have church talk and work talk. You never say bad words here, but you cuss and say words and laugh at jokes that are filthy. See, it, it can't be. It's a con you can't have an inside your house language and an outside your house. You, you can't pray and sound all so great, but when you talk to people, it's completely different. You can't have, hey, I talk to my saved friends this way, but I talk to my unsaved friends completely different. See, here's what James says. It's a contradiction. It really is just revealing and telling who you are. The hymn, the old hymn, says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. I, I read that this week, and I said, Lord, i just like to have one tongue. One tongue that actually praises you the right way. 10,000? I don't think I could do it. Well, I, I know what he's saying, though. Oh, that we have many people praising God, and we're, he deserves that. Can I tell you this? He deserves, one, he deserves a number of hundreds of tongues from people in this room who praise him for who he is. See, it's the tongue test. The question is for all of us, are you passing it? Let's pray.
Father, we have heard your word today, and James has been telling us all along that hearing it is good, but it's never enough. I pray today that we not only be hearers of it, but doers of it. Some of us have said things and are saying things, and we need, Lord, to change. We need a revolution. We need a makeover of our mouths because we need a makeover of our hearts. And maybe for some this morning, as they honestly evaluate their own life, they're looking deeper than even what comes out of their mouth, but what comes out of their heart. And I pray that if in their mind and heart that you've convicted them to bring them to the place where they recognize that their words are a revelation of their lack of salvation, that they would come this morning, they would seek someone out who can take the scriptures and show them how they can have life, not only a right mouth, but a right heart. Father, for us who are believers today, may we not underestimate the power and the problem of the tongue. God, help us to be resolved that every word of our mouth and every meditation of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.